soul family and welcome to the walk on podcast the podcast where i try to demystify spirituality personal growth and healing and whatever else i feel like talking about i'm your host Britt cannon and this week's episode is called default settings uh default settings is like a a sort of computer like program sort of metaphor for the traits that we created within ourselves to cope with our trauma. You know, it's like the things we do that are short-term fixes that make us feel better in the moment or initially helped us survive, but that become over time problematic. And I really love the metaphor. Actually, an ex of mine <laughs> uh, learned this from th- from their therapist. Um, I love this metaphor because it's perfect. It's just like your default settings are the operating system like you sort of came with. You know, as early as you can remember, the people who were in charge of you as a child, like they were the ones responsible for programming you. And some caretakers do this responsibly, some do not, you know? A lot of them had faulty operating systems and they didn't ever work out the bugs. So they maybe programmed you a little funky. And, and, you know, there are things that you sort of like learn along the way that justify or like inform or further... um, you know, just further encourage those default settings to remain the way they are or even get worse. And healing is is essentially deprogramming and then reprogramming those default settings. But your default settings are your default settings. It doesn't mean that they're not healable. It doesn't mean that you're not, you know, it's not possible to fix your wounds or your kind of toxic beliefs or your insecurities. Like I really believe that anything caused by trauma is healable. I have healed some big, terrible fucking shit. So I know it's possible, but it does take hard work. And the thing that I think is frustrating along the healing journey that I have found myself really frustrated with at points is that my default settings are always there. Like I I can work on them, you know? This is why thinking of recovery as like a day-by-day, moment-by-moment exercise in presence instead of like something that, you know, you cross a finish line, you get a trophy, you know, you get an A on your <laughs> healing and you're done. You never have to worry about any of this shit again. Your past is in your past. It's over. You can forget about it. Like men in black style, beep, boop, beep. Your memory's erased. You're a new person. You know? <laughs> it's not like that. Your default settings are always with you. One of the things that I think about that think about a lot, um, that's a perfect example of this in my own life, is like disordered eating. And, and like diet culture, you know, this is something that has been ingrained in me from a very young age. My body was scrutinized from like a disturbingly young age. I was on a, my first diet when I was eight and I stayed on a diet until I was basically 24, 26, something like that. So, you know, I definitely lived life longer, much longer in that mode than I have in in a sort of recovered or recovering mindset mode. Not even to mention the fact that the world is more than happy to mirror that diet culture bullshit back to me on a regular basis. So diet culture, you know, the diet culture mindset being on a diet, having an eating disorder, experimenting with disordered eating and exercising, like all of that lives very firmly in my default settings. And so it takes, has taken a lot of effort and will continue to take a lot of effort for me to stay out of that mindset, to transcend that thinking and instead embrace where I'm at, embrace the flexibility and the fluidity of like 
what it means to be in my body and all of its fluctuations and aging and like not getting too much into like the physical scrutiny you know I try very hard to do my self-love grounding rituals on a daily basis Um, I take a lot of time and care and effort and put it into loving myself because hating myself is in my default settings now if I lose a lot of weight uh, because I do fluctuate like kind of extremely depending on what I'm going through how much money I have just like hormonally what's happening in my body how much I'm able to move it you know how what how long a flare-up has lasted like all of this stuff contributes to the fluctuation so if I lose a lot of weight then I have to work very hard to stay out of that mindset of like oh my god like I lost all this weight on accident and if I just ate less and exercise more, I could like lose more and keep it off. And maybe I could be skinny. You know, like I start spiraling in that direction very easily. Similarly, if I find myself gaining weight, it's very hard not to have a shame spiral about it and to be like, oh, I'm getting too fat. I'm lazy. It's because I like let myself go. Like all of my, you know, like body positivity is fine for everybody else. But for me, it's bullshit. You know, I just like start spinning out and being like, I got to get on a diet. I got to lose this weight. Like, what have I done to myself? And (laughs) both directions come with their own coping mechanisms and their own struggles. And it takes effort to stay out of those default settings because I lived in them so long. They became almost like second nature. Like to this day, I have calorie like amounts for like so many different snack foods it's like why am I wasting brain space on calorie amounts in various kinds of food that I eat and love and enjoy or whatever like it's such useless information and it's in there you know it's in there for good and there's nothing I can do about it except that I can understand that it's not good for me I can parent myself out of those spirals. You know, I can be like, let's not get attached to any body size. Let's unpack for a second, like why one is better and one is worse. Let's ask if it changes anything about who I am at my core when my weight fluctuates. Let's ask ourselves if there's some things that these feelings can help me unpack And I go through this whole process and checklist of like unpacking the feeling and I really process it and I don't allow myself to wiggle out of it because it's a conversation I need to have and continue having. And I do this gently and I do it with love, but it doesn't mean that any fluctuation or like a comment from someone else or, you know, any number of things really could put me back in a position to, to slide back into those default settings. So I have to be very mindful of like where my head is at. And I have to be very diligent with my self care and like self love body positive daily practices. I, I still to this day have a really hard time like following any accounts that promote diet culture. I have to like surround myself with fat activists and body positive people, you know, I need to just, I know this from my early days of like healing my eating disorder that, you know, you have to surround yourself with the right people and the right examples. And you have to like make sure that you're getting affirmational messages that contribute to your healing instead of affirmational messages that contribute to the default settings. So that's just one area that (laughs) my default settings, you know, are sort of always feel not far away. You know, they always feel like (laughs) it's like whack-a-mole, you know, like at any second, here it comes, (laughs) surprising me and scaring me and making me have to do a lot of inner work. Um, Another thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately because astrology update (laughs) the nodes so the north and the south node are have a lot to do with like our past lives and 
and like what we're meant to transcend in this life and our current life and what we're supposed to like embrace and embody in this life. So right now the North node is going into Aries and the South node is going into Libra. And that is where my North and South node are exactly. So this, you probably have Aries and or Libra placements in your chart. So this will be relevant to you, (laughs) but basically the access that we're access not access, axis, that we're dealing with right now is the me versus we access. Axis. <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing that. So me versus we. Aries is me. Libra is we. So Aries is very independent. It's the it's the baby of the zodiac. It's the astrological new year. You know, there's if you've ever known an Aries, you know they are full of life. They're kind of like mischievous and like <laughs> sprite like, you know, they have a very innocent baby quality about themselves. They, you know, they tantrum hard and burn out quick. They are a little bit impulsive. They're super social. They're really funny. They're very charismatic and they're go-getters. You know, they know how to get what they want. It Mars rules Aries, which is the god of war, right? So it's not just about fighting. It's about like knowing how to take action and get what you want. It's very like me first. Like in a, a kid who's in Aries playing a board game will always find a way to go first. <laughs> Libra, on the other hand, is we. It's very, it can be very codependent. It's very cooperative. It it loves to play a, a supporting role. You know, a Libra is a great cheerleader, um, compromising, loves to smooth over conflict, you know, and will often put themselves second um, in favor of like a stronger... I don't want to say a stronger leader because Libras are actually, because of our diplomacy, we are good leaders, but uh, stronger personalities, you know, people who seem more like they like a leadership role more. (laughs) And that isn't always the best thing, you know? But anyway, Aries being in the North Node, or the North Node being in Aries rather, and the South Node being in Libra means like we're working through some codependence. We're working through some we energy where there needs to be me energy. And we're learning how to lay boundaries. We're learning how to put ourselves first. We're learning how to really get solid on like what we want. And then, you know, that helps empower us to go after it, to have like a clear vision of what we want. So the me versus we is what we're working on. And this, boy, howdy, is this a default setting and like a struggle in my life? I just have this like natural instinct to give in to someone else's will and desire. And this has not been great for me (laughs) throughout my life. And I know where this comes from. This comes from figuring out from a pretty early age that the way to remain safe for me was to fawn. You know, that like fighting, I was always up against bigger and stronger adversaries in adults. You know, my friends and stuff, I could beat their asses and win, Aries, but for the adults, I had to find a different way. And fighting wouldn't work, you know, I couldn't flee because I was stuck. Freezing didn't really help occasionally, but like, you know, that didn't feel effective enough. And then I learned to fawn Um, because I'm a naturally nurturing person and I'm a Libra. I love to smooth over conflict. I love to like keep the peace. And so that's how I learned how to survive. And (laughs) through my life, I've become, I like always have been a very purpose-driven person. I've had a very clear vision of what I wanted to do with my life and what my mission on this planet was from like the age of three. Like I feel like I've always known it and it's always been very strong and I've had like a very almost physical sensation of like being pulled in the direction that I'm supposed to go. And a very loud voice, like telling me what steps to take now, because of my like insecurities and my imposter syndrome and, and because of all the things people told me were reasons that I couldn't, you know, embody my purpose. I, at times like seem to lose my way or veer off in different directions, but the course of my purpose is so strong that I always end up getting right back on. One way that I have gotten in my own way in regard to this is putting my relationships before 
my purpose. And I'm not saying this in a capitalistic way of like, you can't have love and friends and family and be successful in like a job or career or whatever. I mean it more in the sense that I, I, for one, didn't trust myself to be able to do things on my own. So I would often like team up with someone else who had a very similar mission. But because of my default settings in who I chose to have close to me, I would always choose people who were very like vicious and competitive and like looked out for themselves, which I think are, you know, are in some ways positive characteristics, meaning you're going to get a lot further than someone who doesn't have those traits because of the way capitalism works and stuff. But, you know, because I always have surrounded myself with people who were competing with me, even though I wasn't competing, uh, it would mean that I would lose. You know, like if you're not competing, if you're not playing the game and someone else is playing the game, like you sort of automatically lose. And that's what would happen. There would be like betrayal and backbiting and like, and it would come out of left field to me, but usually nobody else was surprised. So that was one way in which I would do it. And I would also like choose people who didn't have as strong a sense of purpose, who wouldn't understand or support my journey and my sense of purpose. And I also do this thing where in the beginning of relationships, I overgive, you know, like I sort of set up a precedent that I am like 100% of the time available to like help you through whatever. And this is friends, family, partners, like every jobs, every aspect of my life. I'm like above and beyond, you know, above and motherfucking beyond. And what, so I set this precedent that's like impossible to maintain because eventually that pull to my purpose is going to be stronger than my commitment to the relationship or, or like stronger than what the relationship will allow me to experience or embody or flow along with, right? Because when someone is used to being your number one, and then all of a sudden something else is taking the spot of number one, of course the person's going to feel slighted, you know? And I think that you can have many number ones. I think they're like the ultimate mastery of life is to be in perfect balance and have all your things, you know, have your motherfucking cake and eat it too. (laughs) That's obviously the like the goal, right? But it depends on what you're working with because people don't like change. People don't like to relinquish control. People don't like to fall from like position number one or feel like they're falling for position number one. People get scared when the people close to them start like visibly growing and branching out because it's like, oh no, are they going to leave me behind? And then come these like subtle attempts to stand in the way of that growth. And this can be true with like therapy, new friends, um, new hobbies, like all kinds of means of growing, like can cause a sort of crisis in the people who love us because they're afraid that it's going to cause a relationship ending change. Right. So more often than not, when this would happen, the like discomfort of the realization of my own growth or the importantness of my purpose or that I wouldn't be able to like put myself last for very much longer. Um, as soon as the other person would make a stink about it, I would be like, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. Like I forgot my place. I forgot, you know, that I live to serve you. I forgot that I don't have a personality of my own or dreams or desires. I forgot I'm just a manic pixie dream girl here to make your life more interesting. You know, I forgot that I'm not capable of doing anything. I forgot that I'm a weak, you know, stupid baby. I forgot that I'm not supposed to have autonomy. I forgot that if anyone is supposed to give up their purpose, it's the quote unquote woman in the relationship, you know, and on and on and on. And genuinely, like not as a smart ass would just be like, right, right, right. I was like expecting too much for myself and would usually give in. And I'm telling you, like, 
over and over and over. I fight this impulse constantly. And the thing is, because of my, because of Aries being the one that I'm supposed to embody, it's like in this life, I am rewarded when I behave selfishly, not like destructively. So, you know, not fucking over people or like walking all over people that love me or anything like that. But just when I stand by my convictions, when I follow my bliss, when I prioritize my like heart's desire and what's best for me, things flow really easily. And I'm often rewarded for the action I take. When I put other people first, I tend to be sort of punished, like not in a sinful God is watching you masturbate sort of way, but in like a, obviously if I don't if I don't do what's authentic to me, I suffer, you know, I suffer with resentment. I suffer with prolonging inevitable relationship ending. I suffer from, you know, the kind of sneaky ways that we like when we're not being upfront and true to ourselves, we can tend to be like passive aggressively, uh, giving ourselves what we need. And, you know, that's caused me to do all kinds of stuff that isn't in my integrity. And so it's very important to me to figure out that balance and learn to put myself first and learn to let the powerful pull of my purpose, you know, be a constant in my life, like just surrender to it and honor it and respect it and be grateful for it and know that the right people will be on board. The right people will get it. The right people will see this relationship with my purpose as like something to admire and something to respect and not something to be threatened by. And that boundary has come to be like a pretty fucking <laughs> no, um, no hesitating, no walking backwards. Like it, it's usually the thing that ends up, you know, being the nail in the coffin of certain relationships or whatever. And, you know, that is what it has had to come to. Like, that's just the, a thing that I am working on. You know, not everyone has the same set of wounds. Like everyone's working on different things from different perspectives. So someone else who has different North and South node placements might, for example, have been like a workaholic in a past life and very purpose-driven. And in this life, their main priority is to learn how to relax, learn how to let someone else take the lead, learn how to be a supporting character. And, you know, or, or it can be like somebody's purpose in this life is to have children or somebody's purpose in this lifetime is to, I don't know, <laughs> like, I'm just thinking of, you know, a life of luxury, for example, if their North Node is in Taurus, there's just like, it depends on where your placements are, but it can give you some context of, like, as to what you're supposed to be overcoming and what you're supposed to be stepping into. And that's just something that, like, I struggle with just like with the eating disorder thing where, you know, I work on it. I have certainly, I think made so many sacrifices at the altar of my purpose in my life. I've walked away from a lot. I, I may like come off course once in a while. I may slip into those default settings, especially because you know, intimacy and in relationships is so deeply triggering. Like it's one of the places where our default settings come up the most um, because it's where we feel the most vulnerable. So sometimes we're like at our worst, the closer we are to someone, the like worse we are, the more volatile we are, the more we feel our trauma come up, right? Especially if you're in the practice of being vulnerable. Like so many times I come home from an interaction or I finish with an interaction with someone who's really, really close to me. And I'm like, oh, I feel like raw, you know, like I feel um, like it feels good, but it also feels dangerous in a way, you know, like it's it's like, oh, you know, I hate like purely surface level connections, but wouldn't it be nice to like come home and not have a, a vulnerability hangover? 
<laughs> but, you know, just because your default settings flare up doesn't mean that you have to listen to them. You know, you can let your triggers teach you something, show you what needs to be worked on while not letting them, you know, be in the driver's seat of your experience. You can just kind of sit back and observe them and be like, oh my God, my default default settings are flaring up. And, (laughs) you know, not need to jump on board and like ride that train to hell. You can just, you could just um, observe and take notes and work on it, you know, as it unfolds without taking it out on anyone, without causing any destruction, (laughs) but it can be sneaky. You know, they are our default settings. So in, to a certain extent, they feel really familiar. I'll talk about one that is like super embarrassing for me, um, is like jealousy in relationships. You know, it's really hard for me. Um, it doesn't happen very often. Like I don't feel the, the flare up of jealousy that is coming from, um, my abandonment trauma, you know, I really don't feel it that often and I've done a lot of work on it, but every once in a while it flares up. And let me tell you when it flares up, I feel like I'm dying. Like it's like physical. My heart is racing. My palms are sweaty. My vision gets blurry. I'm like hyperventilating, like scared, scared. And I can be triggered from something as simple as a dream, you know, and this comes in to like feeling left out of social situations, you know, hearing, being afraid someone's going to talk shit about me, that vulnerability hangover thing where I worry I've shared too much. And then of course, like your regular old, you know, (laughs) your partner's cheating on you like nightmare, you know, where you like have a dream (laughs) It like scares you so bad you can't shake it the next day. Like all of this stuff occasionally will pop up for me. And I try really hard to like make light of it, not take it seriously, talk about it, like bring it up if I feel comfortable as soon as it happens or if I feel like I need to. And, you know, just uh, process it as quickly as possible because it's one of those things that like, this is what I'm saying about the sneakiness of default settings. Like (laughs) I see this happen all the time. People come to me for like relationship advice and they'll be like, I felt really jealous and like paranoid that my partner was cheating on me. So I decided to go through their phone. Like that is letting the default settings be in the driver's seat. Like that is a toxic thing to do. There is never a good reason to do it. Like what is done in the dark will be brought to light. You don't need to stoop to the level of snooping to like get the information. You know what I mean? If it's an intuitive thing where you genuinely feel like something is up, like confront, confront the person, have a conversation. Don't, uh, don't do that toxic shit. And also it, it drives you crazy. If you were to find something, God forbid, then it's like you're also the bad guy for like doing the snooping so you can't even fully bring it up and like be in your I'm the good guy (laughs) power because you did something shady to like get the information, you know? But people will say like I was, I you know, I figured out later that I was just like in a spiral, but I just didn't know it at the time. I thought that I was being like, intuitive. You know, I thought I listened to the voice too hard and I thought I was justified in my behavior. This is like me not realizing for a good year to two years that I am bending over backwards for the person I'm in a relationship with instead of like focusing on me and the things I need to be doing and like doing what I need to do to make myself happy and mentally healthy. You know, all, all of my good habits, all of my discipline will go right out the window because I feel like I need to be super available to the person or else they aren't going to love me. And it'll come up so sneaky and so quick that I won't notice it's happening for like 
two years. And then by the time I notice, it's like the precedent has already been set and I got to like roll back all these behaviors and like, and set a new dynamic up. And it's just like hard fucking work. Same thing with like, if you break the barrier of trust with your partner, because you were in a spiral and you didn't realize it like that is sometimes a thing that is a deal breaker for people you know that creates a culture of like mistrust and like a breach of the sacred principle of privacy you know like everyone's entitled to their privacy their own inner world world like breaching that to read someone's journal or look through their text messages or whatever is like not cool in my book. And it's usually like you're seeking an external comfort for an internal struggle. And the thing with those external comforts is they, (laughs) the ego becomes insatiable for them. You know, like it can, people get literally addicted to snooping through their partner stuff. You do it once, you do it twice before you know it, you're doing it every time they leave the room or jump in the shower. You know, you're always looking over their shoulder to see their unlock screen. It's like, it becomes like a, uh, an obsession if you don't check it. And so it's really important to like understand what your default settings are and then like start seeing when they pop up and then deal with them appropriately. You know, try not to make an internal problem an external one and try to take responsibility for your own feelings and emotions. And again, just try to observe what the default settings feel like. And understand that sometimes because they feel so familiar, because you're so used to them and because they did help you survive for so long, they can like trick you into feeling justified. They can trick you into feeling like something you're doing that is unacceptable is actually like the most logical, acceptable thing to be doing. And it can get you into a lot of trouble and it can like cause you to behave in ways that you may one day regret because that's what like when we're in a regretful place it's usually because the default settings were doing the driving and I'll talk more about that after this quick break talk to you in a second bye brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon a walk-on production flight of the final girl A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run. Don't walk. It's Flight of the Final Girl. Anywhere books are sold. Welcome back. So think about something you regret. I'll give some examples, and if they resonate with you, you know, definitely let it sink in. But also think about this in the next week or so as you, like, process this conversation. Um, So thinking about something you regret. One that I hear people say all the time is, like, I regret letting someone, like, pass, slip through my fingers. Like, you know, there was someone who I was secretly in love with, and I, like, longed for them for a really long time and I I would have loved nothing more than to pursue them romantically and like see what would happen but I was too scared to bring it to their attention and so I just sort of missed out on it by inaction this is a default setting of like disempowerment this is someone who felt like they didn't have any power this is someone who probably has a lot of insecurities this is someone who feels like maybe they don't deserve happiness or they don't deserve to go after what they want they maybe tend to put people on a pedestal and to forget their own worth they might not know their own worth at all and it's someone who's like in a state of being where fear is bigger than like reality. I mean, I think fear is kind of always bigger than reality. I've been going through this a lot with health stuff because I've been finally taking care of a lot of things that I've been needing to take care of for like uh, most of my adult life. And, you know, my health anxiety is real. And so everything, everything was blown up 
so much bigger out of proportion than the reality of the situation. Like I was convinced I had like seven different kinds of cancers. I was just like (laughs) convinced I was like rapidly dying. I just like at times like having full on panic attacks about stuff that I felt like was going wrong in my body. And then when I go talk to the doctor, it's like nothing is as bad as I thought it was like not a single time. And I, I knock on wood, like I understand that there's privilege in that and that not everyone has that experience, but I'm just realizing how big my fear was and that my fear was like contributing to, I think I said this a few episodes ago, like my own avoidance in taking care of it. And so like, who knows if I hadn't gone to the doctor, maybe it would have been worse by the time I went, but because I went now, I finally, you know, transcended that default setting of avoidance when it came to my health, at least for the time being, hopefully I will continue working on it and improving in this direction. But, you know, I do have a default setting about neglecting my health because I grew up in a household where my health was neglected default setting. Um, so, you know, the fear was, was causing inaction because the, I don't even know, like the possibility of a negative outcome was like, was scaring me so bad that it was keeping from taking even baby steps to start taking care of it. Even though I know logically that's what needs to be done to be healthy, you know? (laughs) So like with, having an unrequited crush on someone that you never act on. And then they kind of slip through your fingers. Um, fear of rejection is so big that it's not worth the happiness that could come from, you know, an acceptance and, and because you never bring it up, you never know. And that keeps you in this spot of like, wondering. And this is why for my money, I always tell the person, like I have a whole draft of a book of poetry called embarrassing displays of affection, because that is me to a T. Like if I, in the, my whole life, even when I was like the shyest, most awkward, like least desirable (laughs) version of myself, I still would put myself out there because I was just like, I'd rather know. I'd rather know than wonder. And, and, you know, if, if they reject me, at least I'm free. Like it, at least I get to move on with my life and not just long. I just hate the state of longing. Oh my God. What torture, exquisite torture. Sure. At points, but torture nonetheless. No, thank you. I'd get a, I'd take a solid no any day. (laughs) Um, you know, so if you find yourself like experiencing, your cycles of like unhealthy behavior. You know, if you have more than one person who slipped through your fingers because of inaction, or if you have more than one person who you fell deeply in love with simply because they were unavailable, or if you have more than one person who was so demanding of your time and energy that you neglect yourself and your needs in the service of keeping them, then recognize that for probably being a default setting. You know, that may have been a way that you were taught to be in childhood as a means of survival. So like, how does inaction, you know, how, how does that come to be a default setting? Well, probably by being disempowered in your home, you know, being heavily criticized, um, being made to feel not good enough, being made to feel like a burden, being made to feel unlovable by not being loved in the right ways, you know, being rejected really early on, being bullied by your peers. Um, Obviously, like (laughs) beauty standards and politics and, you know, the white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy, like also feeds into our default settings. Like I think our default settings are heavily indoctrinated into the, those systems that be, you know, that's where they play out the hardest. That's where like fat phobia lives. That's where racism lives. That's where homophobia and transphobia live because while, you know, not default settings in the sense that like the personality we came in here with, cause everybody's born free. Everyone's born like, 
at least in their spirit, in their soul, you know, non-judgmental. We're here to like be sponges and soak up the world. And that's how we learn how to be. So your default settings are how you learned how to be, not who you were born as. Um, so don't get that twisted. <laughs> Otherwise it wouldn't be changeable. Like there are certain beautiful, wonderful, totally unique things about your personality that you were born with. It's like when you meet a baby, like the baby that I nanny right now, he's obsessed with cars. He will probably be obsessed with cars his whole life. He loves them. He's funny. He'll probably be funny his whole life. He's like a talker, even though he doesn't have words yet. He's just like constantly babbling and trying to communicate. So he'll probably be social and be a talker his whole life like those are the things that we were born with that make us uniquely us but the default settings are the programs right whoever was in charge of us they uploaded this shit into our heads and now we have to decide whether we're going to keep it or whether we're going to deprogram and reprogram something better this reminds me of this particular default setting of not being being able to take action you know that's there's a lot to be said about confidence in regard to this this issue, you know, and it reminds me of people I've met in my life who were afraid to like try new things. Like I remember, you know, certain friends I had who were too afraid to play like baseball. Like if everyone was together and they were playing baseball, like I didn't know how to play it either, but I had a certain confidence to try. Like I didn't care that much if I looked foolish in learning because I love learning and because the like joy of playing was worth the worth the uh (laughs) the possibility of the fear of looking silly you know but I have I have met and interacted with many people in my life who were too afraid to try too afraid to put themselves out there so it may have played out may have played out not only in a romantic or or platonic sense but also in like a trying new things putting yourself out there feeling uh you know if you want to be on stage like being afraid that you're not supposed to take up space constantly apologizing for your like mere existence like all of this is tied up in the same default setting where no one made you feel important no one made you feel special no one made you feel worthy no one made you feel seen and so all of these things when you experience them or when you put yourself in danger of experiencing them can make you feel terrified and can make you can trigger all those default settings and feelings of unworthiness and then you know you convince yourself to sit it out and not give it a try and then you miss out and then you're filled with regret and then that has its own um bag of (laughs) feelings and issues you know I think we've all experienced those feelings to a certain degree um and that's why I was saying that it can lead to regret because you know there it is (laughs) it's like in my family, um, there was a lot of fighting with words, you know, everyone had this like forked tongue, like everyone was capable of just like cutting people to the core. And I also had a a best friend very young. Like, I don't know how this kid ended up being so fucking nasty at like eight years old, but she was, Um, who was also like that. And I was never a a fight with my words type of person. I was always a fight with my fists type of person. Um, But, uh, you know, it didn't mean that I didn't like learn how to do it, like how to find people's deepest insecurity and just like go after that to win an argument or hurt their feelings or whatever. And some of my biggest regrets in life are times when I let that impulse to win at any cost to hurt someone else's feelings, to like wield that power over someone else, you know, three times in my life, maybe I've done it. And I deeply regret every single time I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. It wasn't in my integrity, but it was in my default settings. And, you know, I think there is a comfort when you know, your default settings hold like being a good fighter or like or being really good at winning arguments or being really persuasive. You know, there's like certain traits that we learn to <laughs> to imply when we're or to apply when we're young. S- similarly, like 
being someone who's very attention seeking. Like there are certain people who only got attention when it was negative reinforcement. And so they learn to have this association that like any attention is good attention. And these are the people who like act out. I have family members like this, like they are still, I'm sure, running the streets, getting arrested, like doing silly things, pissing people off on purpose to like egg them into a fight, like just constantly being problematic and confrontational because that gets them a reaction and any reaction is a good reaction. You know, any attention is good attention. And that's obviously a negative cycle to be stuck in because you're never getting any positive feedback. You're never getting like real love or real connection. You're not getting attention from any kind of positive place for your whole life. You start to believe you're bad. You start to believe you're unworthy. And then you're like, well, I'm a piece of shit anyway, so I may as well act like one. (laughs) And before you know it, you've like driven everyone away and you're like too old to be acting the way you're acting. And you know, not to be dramatic, but like your life is in shambles, you know, the self-destructive default setting is a particularly like harmful one. I definitely have this in me too, like down to really simple things these days, because I'm not like living that hard. (laughs) I have a pretty calm, simple life. There's only so much damage I can do, but like Even something as simple as every day, I know that doing yoga and working out is going to like make the rest of my day be fantastic. It's going to put me in a great mood. I'm going to be a positive presence to every person I meet. I'm going to walk around smiling. I'm going to be more present. My work is going to flow more freely. I'm not going to walk around aimless. I'm going to be very focused. You know, I'm going to be very mindful. And also my body is going to function better. My muscles aren't going to hurt as bad. So like I know logically that it's good for me. Every single day, my brain tries to sabotage me by finding anything else to do besides getting on my yoga mat. Some days it's really easy and I get right on it. Some days I really have to like have a talk with myself and I usually end up saying something a parent would say like, okay, well, let's just give it five minutes. If we're, if we're in it five minutes and we hate it, we don't have to do it anymore. And usually after five minutes, I'm like, I want to do this all day. (laughs) So, you know, I get there, but the self-sabotage thing, man, that's like a thing that I have very much struggled with because I don't know. I just like worthiness, I guess. And also when you have like a narcissistic parent, especially like if you're a, an AFAB person and you were raised as a daughter and like you have a narcissistic mom, there's this com- competition element that is kind of a huge mindfuck and probably with fathers and like like people who are raised as sons as well. Like there's a some weird Freudian like patriarchal bullshit that goes on in these relationships that at a certain point in your life means that you are competition to your parent, especially if they're the type of person who like never got out of high school in their mind, you know? And, and also just like if you had like a deeply selfish family. So for me, any time in my life I had anything good going for me, my family either like consciously or unconsciously would find a way to ruin it. And down to like disappearing after my college graduation. So I had to like walk out of the ceremony to like no one, everyone else around me is like taking pictures and like having a moment. And I'm standing there all by myself, like nearly in tears. Um, (laughs) just stuff like that. Uh, (laughs) or someone yelling at me or saying something really shitty when I'm about to get an award or like, it's just, it's every single time. And so I think that became my default settings that like this belief that bad things happened around good things, you know, that like if, if a good thing was coming, that meant something bad had to happen either before or directly after, or like as a result of, I almost had this like mystical, magical thinking belief that like nothing good would ever happen to me unless something bad also happened to me, like almost simultaneously, that there was almost like a curse on me that I couldn't just experience good things. 
And because of that, like sneaky little beast that the ego is, it would sneak its way, like wiggle its way into my psyche and my behavior and cause me to like self-sabotage. One of the most like hilarious examples was when I was in college for music majors, we had to do like a senior recital. So you work for like years getting a a set list together you know you like learn how to perform it you buy a fancy outfit you like book your accompanist you do all these rehearsals and you also have to do like a recital approval so you have to perform for the whole faculty and they all have to say yes you're ready and it factors into your grade and like whether or not you will graduate so it's like a very a very big deal so it's the night before my senior recital And I decide to go to my friend's house and play a game that we invented called Frisbeer, which is a very stupid game where you set up a stool and with a beer bottle on it twice, like like a volleyball court away or maybe a little bit closer. You take a Frisbee, you throw it at the beer bottle, you knock it off, and then one of the partners on a team has to chug while the other person finds the beer and puts it back on the stool stupid <laughs> just dumb and I nowadays I would never be like heavily drinking the night before I had to go sing opera for 45 minutes straight on stage by myself like what in the 21 year old bullshit so I'm there playing frisbee the night before my senior recital clonk get hit in the face with with a frisbee and end up having like two subtle black eyes <laughs> the night before and, and obviously the next day during and boy, howdy was my voice teacher mad at me, but that's just like one of many examples of me sneakily self-sabotaging. Could it be seen as just bad luck? Absolutely. But was it ultimately the result of my own bad decisions? Yes, indeedy. (laughs) And that's something that I really have to be mindful of the self-sabotage because in my default settings, there is a lot of unworthiness. There's a lot of like, you know, overlooking of my own positive traits, my own like special qualities, my own gifts and talents, my own like power and light, you know? And the thing about feeling unworthy for something is that you often push it away. You know, this reminds me of people who like are avoidant with love, like in their default settings, there is avoidance. They don't feel worthy of love. They don't feel love adds anything to their life. They feel overwhelmed by the prospect of being loved and loving. They feel emotionally inept. And so when they get close, they tend to run away or fuck it up before, you know, things can go bad for them. They cause it to go bad. And the thing about that is you like, you never really get to see because you're too afraid. And also you keep getting hurt because you don't let yourself like fully experience it. So you're only staying in the negative. Like you're only experiencing the bad. You're only experiencing the loss. You don't allow yourself to like fully sink in the good either. And, you know, pushing it away further reiterates the belief that you held in the first place, which is that you're undeserving of it. And then you think, well, I don't have it, so I must be undeserving. But it's actually like, no, you're just pushing it away. Like I'm sure every single push it, per, push in, every single person you pushed away would be more than happy to give you that love. But you just pushed it away. It's not about worthiness. It's about getting a handle on these default settings and telling yourself a different story. Go back and listen to my, what our story or the stories we tell ourselves episode. If you want to hear more about that topic, um, and tell yourself a different one, you know, like I struggle with avoidance, um, but I am worthy of love and I would like to experience love. I'm going to wait till I'm ready and I won't hurt someone in the process (laughs) of getting love, but when I feel the impulse to run, 
I will be mindful that it probably means that I'm triggered and scared because I'm feeling vulnerable. And instead of running, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to go toward the person. I'm going to open up to the person. I'm going to trust the person. I'm going to rely on the person. I'm going to seek reassurance instead of like feeling justified and running away. That's another one. The sneaky default settings. You know, it'll tell you like, you need to run. This is too much for you. This isn't going to work out. It's going to ruin your life. This person's going to break your heart. And before you know it, you're packing your bags and out the door, even though like what just happened is, you know, a small argument or like someone having a bad day and you just assume it's about you. Like more often than not, conflict is a miscommunication and if everyone keeps their feet on the ground and stays aware of the ways that their trauma might flare up uh usually you can navigate it pretty seamlessly like there may be hurt feelings there may be times when you need to take space and like calm down but you get to the heart the heart of the matter a lot more quickly when you are in the driver's seat, when like the mature you, the reprogrammed you, the you that loves yourself, the generous you, you know, your higher self, when you're in that mode, um, it's actually pretty easy to navigate. (laughs) When you're in like trauma mode, default settings mode, the way seems very unclear. And usually we're operating from a place of fear or (laughs) or straight up panic, you know? So becoming aware of your default settings is a process. Um, it's most of the information regarding it is like trapped in your wounds. So think about the things you experienced that taught you how to feel about yourself and taught you how to feel about the world. And then take it one step further and ask yourself, do I actually feel that way? Or like, is that a helpful belief to hold? Could I see it from a more positive direction? Or do I need to do away with that altogether? Like who taught that to me? Is it someone I trust? Is it a reliable narrator? Or is it the person who hurt me the most in life? Um, what were they working with? You know, what were their default settings? If you look at your caregivers, usually their default settings have a lot to do with yours. Um, Think about your patterns and and your cycles and the things that happen over and over again. And try not to get overwhelmed. Try not to get sucked into a shame spiral. Just try to look at these things objectively with self-compassion and with love. Remember, our default settings are always with us and they don't need to be screamed at or abused into submission. What they need is to be spoken to like the wounded child they are. They need love. They need patience. They need respect. They need understanding. They need a soft touch. Um, Reparenting yourself is about being the compassionate, like emotionally healthy person you needed when you were a kid. So try not to get all rough and tough with yourself. Try not to yell and scream at yourself. Try just to to take these things as like simply learning about yourself. The way to fix them is by gentle guidance. The way to like a healthier way of existing in the world is by radical self-acceptance. You know, just remember at the end of the day, (laughs) what you went through is never your fault, but it is your responsibility to heal. The Walk On Podcast is a production of Walk On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit dash Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find... Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection.
There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with the swears on them. <laughs> there are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services, if you'd like some one-on-one -on -one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology. And you can also access my self-love course, which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself. There are journal prompts, guided meditations, self-care rituals, letter writing assignments, and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.